Unfolding the eternal excellences, the hidden insights of the truth and the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge. The Bible says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have not pointed to your weaknesses. He says, I have cleansed thee by the word. I have pointed to your strength. And this is your strength, that I am Christ in you, the hope of glory. The glory of freedom, the glimpses into eternity. The gospel is not supposed to be an assumption. It's not supposed to be just a mere presupposition. Truth is older than language, but the word of God is way deeper than any human language. And now, Apostle Grace with the word. Today, we are going to take our reading from Job, the fourth chapter, the first verse. Job, the fourth chapter. Let's begin with the first verse. And before we read it, let me give us the context from which we are reading this portion of scripture. We know a story of a man called Job. The Bible says that he was one of the most, if not the most righteous man, actually God would speak of him testifying to the devil, that have you considered my servant Job? For there is none righteous like him. So this beloved man, the Bible tells us he was the richest man in the East. He was a blessed man in all aspects of life. And so he was so blessed that the Lord started to boast over him. There's something beautiful there. God can do things in your life and bless you so much that he would even start to boast over you. Somebody shout hallelujah. May it be so for your life. In the mighty name of Jesus. I said may it be so in your life. And may God do things in your life. May the testimony of the gospel be so eminent on your life that God will boast over you, that people will boast over you. Those that love you will give testimony concerning your life. Why? Because you are the blessed of the Lord. So it's possible. And this is a sign that our Father pleasures in the prosperity of His children. The Bible says that God pleasures in the prosperity of His people. He wants you blessed. He wants you healthy. He wants you rich. He wants you wise. He wants you prosperous in every aspect of life. And he boasts over us, the Bible says, with singing. Can you believe that? Sometimes God composes songs. Somebody shout hallelujah. You do something and God even writes a song. Somebody shout hallelujah. With joy. He writes a song about you. He sings about you. He says, those are my own. They are wise. They are blessed. Somebody shout hallelujah. He rejoices over us. He rejoices over us. Somebody shout hallelujah. And so, God testified over this man's righteousness. He considered my servant. And Satan tells him, does he love you for nothing? He's blessed him. Everything around him is blessed. And you have aged everything that he has with him. You know, everything that he has, you have put under a certain protection. There's a hedge over everything he possesses. So, Satan is telling God that the reason why this man worships you and is committed to you is because of what you have given him and what he has in his life. So, Satan tells God, but touch him. Touch him. His house and his land and you'll see whether he will not denounce you. You'll see whether he will not disconnect from you and curse you to your face. So the Bible says. But again, if you're a deeper reader, a deeper student of the word, study why Satan speaks about those three. Satan speaks about the children. Huh? Speaks about the increase of the land. It's very important for us to understand why Satan is speaking about those things. He's saying, does he worship you for nothing? Does he love you for nothing? You know, you have hedged everything about him. His household, everything that he has. You've blessed the works of his hands and the substance of his increase for the land. You know, you're talking of his properties. You're talking about the increase of his land. You're talking about his children. Those three. His seed, the increase of his land, and the possessions that he has presently. It's three things. You should study them as a student of the word. It's interesting if you want to know the things that Satan has issues with concerning, you know, the children of God, your labors, the works of your hands, the increase of your field, 
and your seed. Anyway, so scriptures tell us, God says, no, no, that's not why the guy worships me. So I have allowed you, touch him. But do not take his life. Do not take his life. And so we see him lose his children. We see him lose all his animals. And then he's afflicted in the flesh, in the body. He's sick. He falls sick. And then, after that, he becomes discontent in his spirit concerning his service toward God. I have served God. I have been faithful. Why am I the one receiving this kind of punishment? His spirit is grieved. And then his friends come to visit him. His three favorite friends, Eliphad, Bildad, and Zophar. Scriptures tell us those three men come to Job and they're with him for seven days. They're seeing the pain that he's in and they are quiet, but they are with him. They're watching him. And then out of that process, he starts to speak despondence. He starts to speak things that are so almost accusing, not very, but almost accusing God of not being fair. He starts complaining. He starts whining. He starts speaking things in bitterness. And as he's complaining, that stirs his friends to give him an answer. If you read scripture, you will be amazed. His friends were not made up to say anything. In the first place, they just wanted to be there for their friend and comfort him. But when Job started to express his discordance, he started to give vent to his experiences and started complaining and whining and almost to a place of, you know, claiming God is not fair and things like that. This is when these guys get together and then say, you know what, I think we should give this guy an answer. Now remember, if you study this, if you've taken time to study these three, all of them have their own character. Eliphaz is a sensitive fellow. Bildad is a logical guy. If you read, he's a guy of logic. He applies a lot of logic to the things of God. And Zophar is hot-tempered. So all of these guys are bombarding this guy from that perspective. One is very sensitive. One is hot-tempered. Another is logical. So they all come with answers. And of course, later to the end, we realize that because of Job's character and how he turned and changed because of the attacks on his life, it caused these men to interpret him a certain way. And when they interpret him a certain way, they judge him and God a certain way. And at the end, we realize that they judged, you know, God wrong also in the process, you know, and in a few instances also judged Job wrong, but in, not in all instances. Let us be very clear on that. Note that in all instances, they were wrong. In some instances, they were right. And in some instances, they were wrong concerning Job. But they were wrong in almost all instances concerning God because they interpreted Job, you know, the example differently from what they had assumed him to be, from what they had assumed him to be. And so in defense of God, in defense of God's sovereignty and dignity to defend the honor of God, they come through and then judge Job harshly. But the reason why they judge him harshly, again, I need to emphasize this, was because of how he responded to his adversity. How do you respond in the times of adversity? Somebody shout hallelujah. His soul is raging, he's angry, he's expressing so much disappointment, he's speaking things he's not supposed to be speaking. And these guys are saying, uh-uh, we need to come and deal with this guy. So when you hear them speaking, you can actually realize that it seemed that at one point they communed, the three of them, and had a conversation. And then later said, you know, let's go for this guy. So, in the fourth chapter, Eliphaz is speaking to Job. And this is where we're taking our teaching from. So Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, if we say to commune with thee, will thou be grieved? But who can withhold himself from speaking? How can somebody not speak with the way you've responded, with the way you're doing, the things that you're doing, and again, in respect to what is also going on in your life? How can we keep quiet? So he says, Behold, thou hast instructed many, and thou hast strengthened the weak hands. 
and thy words have upholden him that was failing, and thou hast strengthened the feeble knees. But now it has come upon thee, and thou faintest. It has touched thee, and thou art troubled. Is not this thy fear, thy confidence, thy hope, and thy uprightness of thy ways? In our student, your righteousness be speaking differently. Shouldn't the knowledge on your life be speaking differently? Shouldn't the experiences that you have seen in life and the way you see God working have spoken differently? If we read that from the message version, it's important for us to read it because some people may not understand the language here. He says, Eliphaz, the Teman, spoke up and says, would you mind if I said something to you? Under the circumstances, it's hard to keep quiet. Under these circumstances, it's hard to keep quiet. He says, you yourselves have done this plenty of times, spoken words that clarify that encouraged those who were about to quit. Your words have put stumbling people on their feet. They've put fresh hope in people about to collapse. But now you're the one in trouble and you're hurting and you've been hit hard and you're railing with a blow. But shouldn't your devout life give you confidence now? Shouldn't your exemplary life give you hope? Meaning, <laughs> you have given hope where there was no hope. You have given confidence where there was no confidence. You have gotten the stumbling men back to their feet. You have encouraged families. You have encouraged homes. You have encouraged people. You have spoken into the lives of people. You are the source of hope. When they look at you, they breathe. When they look at you, they have hope. When they look at you, their spirits are enlightened and awakened, you know, to all possibility in God. When they listen to you, they are blessed. When they see how you deal, they are blessed. You see, and why? Because you were responding to their circumstances. But everything was perfect with you, Job. Everything was perfect. It's easy to be the best voice when you have not gone through fire. It's easy to be the most encouraging person when you've not gone through the waters. It's easy for you to be the most encouraging person when everything is perfect, when your children are okay, when your job is okay, when your marriage is okay, when your business is okay, when your career is okay, when your dreams are all, you know, going upward and upward, when your inventions and innovations are working, when men are responding, when the favor of God is upon you and it's evident that you are progressing every other day. But how do you respond in your time of adversity? This is what is confusing the three men. Job was a reputable man. He was a man of God. He was a believer. He was the fasting, the giving, the praying man. If it's in present day, he is the spirit-filled, tongue-speaking, fire-spitting believer, full of the Holy Ghost who knows how to confess every word right. He knows how to speak in every circumstance. He knows how to quote every scripture in every way. You find him and you feel hope has come. You meet this person, you're in trouble and they give you a call for 15 minutes. They have changed your life. And then Job wakes up one day and trouble is in his house. And then <laughs> he starts complaining. He starts murmuring. He turns. He's full of fear. He's fretting. He's broken. You know, everything about him shows that he did not believe what he was telling men. Every reaction to him or on him shows that he did not believe or that he was not given into the very things that he taught the world. And so Eliphaz is asking him the question, shouldn't your devout life give you confidence now? Shouldn't your exemplary life give you hope now? Why are you fainting this way? Why are you reacting to this situation this way? Why are you acting like a person who does not know God when you're in your time of trouble? Selah, think about it. Think about it. You know, we are at our best when everything is perfect. Being a pastor and preaching for many years, now coming to 17 years of active ministry, I have seen the excitement on the faces of men when I'm preaching. I've seen that exuberant soul, the effervescence of a man's heart, that excitement that is almost uncontrollable because they have received the word of God and they are truly excited. And some have made statements after this sermon, I can never be afraid again. After this sermon, I can never draw back again. 
that speak into the world. After this sermon, how can I give up after what I've heard? How can I be afraid? How can I draw back with everything that I've received today? They even make vows at that point. I will never do this again. I'll never go this way again. I'll never confess this way again. Oh, they're excited. Apostle, you have preached. They hug you. They give you seed. They all celebrate you. You have preached a message. Then after a couple of months or years, some happens. <laughs> and they hit shipwreck. You hear that very sister has been beaten by life so badly that they no longer even go to church. What's the point of praying? Huh? As dealing with a believer who's probably now about 20 years into salvation and they are telling me for three months I have failed to pray because of the disappointment that I've had with God. He's not answering me. So this person stopped praying for three months because their heart, after two years, one year, it always comes. Because you see, let me tell you this. I've shared this in one sermon before and said, there are two ways you can live the Christian life. One, you can live the Christian life in the way of ignorance, where you choose to be ignorant about everything. It says that whatever comes just hits you in your ignorance until you die. That's dangerous. Or you can choose to know and invest your life and time in the knowledge of the things of God. Now, that also has its catch. That you will be tested on everything you receive in the realm of knowledge. When we talk about the facets of hearing, the scriptures are very clear that there are people who receive the word of God. You know, Jesus said they receive the word of God with joy. In Matthew, they get excited at the reading of the word. They get so exuberant at the reading of the word. They hear. But the Bible says that when the troubles come, the tests of the world, the gestations of life come, the Bible says, on account of the word, on account of the word, never forget that, on account of the word, the Bible says they are offended. Why? Because whatever was being taught to them, they were not rooted. If you read Matthew 13, 21, the Amplified Version, he says that he that has no real root in him, real, real, real root in him. We're talking about now getting rooted. You know, it's one thing for the Word of God to be in your head. It's one thing for the Word of God to be on your lips, to confess it. It's one thing for you to appear like you know the Word, but it's another when the Word of God gets rooted in your spirit. And these days more than ever before, saints, COVID season and all these things in the world. They are weighing us as to how much we are rooted in the world. We have never been tested in present history in the world like we're being tested right now. The whole world is under a test. Christians, right now, everything you used to speak and confess over yourself, now the practicals are here. Those confessions, 10,000 shall fall at one side, 1,000 on the other. None of those things shall touch me. Whoa! Now, 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 the practicals are here. The practicals are here. He shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Then the lockdown hits and you're not working. And then you look at your account and there's not enough money. Oh, and then the landlord doesn't want to know. He doesn't even care whether there's a lockdown or not. And your children are also demanding at home. And now, my God shall supply. Now, now, the lights are on you, Job. Hallelujah, glory to God. Now, we are waiting to see whether there was root in you, whether what you were studying actually sunk or it was floating. Somebody shout hallelujah, glory to God. So, he speaks of he that has no real root in him. It says, but it's temporary, inconstant, and lasts but a little while. And so when affliction or trouble or persecution comes, when affliction or trouble, persecution comes, now listen to Amplified, on account of the word, what does that mean? That you will be persecuted because of the word you believed. You will be tested in affliction and trouble 
because of what you believe. Some of you, the challenges that you have, it's not, again, it's not because you have generational curses and these spirits are trying to follow you. Uh-uh. There is a fire coming to weigh everything that you have read or invested yourself into in learning to prove whether it is rooted in you or it is not. This is a season. That is the time. If it has not yet come for you, it will come someday, but it will come to test what is inside you. Somebody shout hallelujah. So the scriptures tell us that when affliction or trouble, persecution comes on account of the word, the Bible says at once he is caused to stumble and he is repelled. I don't know why the scriptures didn't say she. He is repelled and begins to distrust and desert him whom he ought to trust and obey. And the Bible says, and he falls away. They thought about man. That applies for all of us. So when they get to a point where things hit them, they stumble. Some people are a diagnosis away from stumbling and repelling and distrusting and deserting God. They're just a divorce away from repelling and distrusting and stumbling away from God. They're just one firing away on a job. They just need to read one letter, either demoting them or telling them that we are done with your service, we don't need you anymore. And they are going to fall tomorrow morning like nothing. They are just one meal away from distrusting God. They are just one offense away. The pastor abused me. How could he abuse me? And they will stumble. One offense, two, three, four offenses, five. The devil can count them because he has weighed them. He knows how they think. He knows how they think. Satan knew what was in Job's mind. The Bible says that if you fall in pieces in a crisis, message version says there was nothing to you in the first place. If you faint in your day of adversity, your strength is small. There was nothing to you. In other words, all that excitement was not excitement. You were deceiving yourself. You were deceiving yourself. One day I visited a fellow minister in his ministry and um, there was a wonderful event happening in his ministry. And then I was to be a part of that. And so we come in, he comes in and then people start screaming. Yeah! They were celebrating him. And in a vision, <laughs> the Lord showed me some individuals within that celebration and they said, these ones will not be with this man in a few years to come. And the spirit was exact on their eyes. And he said, even what they're excited over, they have no understanding. They don't even know him. They think they do, but they don't know him. They don't know the servant of God. But they think that they understand him based on what their minds, their simple minds could pick at that particular point. And for a few minutes, I was saddened. Because I've walked that journey, so I know it. This is the time when revelation comes. The Bible says we rejoice over your word like he that has found spoil. You know, there's that excitement. When a certain message is new in the ministry, oh, grace, they get excited about grace. Faith, oh, they get excited about faith. They're rejoicing. They're ecstatic. They... they, they, they you know, everything is just amazing. I have this pastor. Oh my God, he's a great preacher. Oh my God, have you heard of the message of grace? And then they get this whole excitement. Perhaps she's dealing with this one thing or two things or he's dealing with these two or three things in his life that he had failed to fix. And then this one revelation somehow is bringing all these things into, you know, meaning. And he sees that he has a breakthrough and then he gets excited or she gets excited. And they get to the assumption that they have connected to eternal purpose because of the message they have received in that season to fix the issues of that time. So every ministry, as it evolves, it has its days of excitement. But the man of God, the prophet in me, is looking at these people 
And I am so sad at the point where we're all celebrating. I'm so sad because for them, because I see that they don't even know why they're excited, but they are excited. But one day things are going to come and they're not going to be able to stand the storm. Jesus tells Peter that the devil has desired to sift you as wheat. But he tells him, but I have prayed for thee that your faith fail thee not. That your faith fail thee not. When thou art converted, you shall strengthen thy brethren. To Jesus, it was important. And that portion of scripture tells us that there are certain things that were meant to come. We're not in the realm of I rebuke, I cancel. No, they were meant to come. Why? Because those ones were coming to test your faith. They were not coming to kill you. I don't care what name they had given them. This sickness on Lazarus is not unto death. So what if he dies four days? It's still not unto death. The giver of life has spoken that this shall be for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified. Somebody shout hallelujah. These things are easy to understand when everything is okay. They're easy. They're easy when everything is okay. Everything is in check. Everything is balanced. Everything is perfect. But Job goes through all of this. All of this. And so Eliphaz speaks. says, you are the one encouraging us. And that is why we which desire to be masters, the Bible says we should be very careful because we are judged heavier than the average person. Again, our prayer then comes that God, while I'm a teacher of men and an instructor of many, give me the grace to allow and yield to the things that you teach me that they will be rooted in me, that I'll respond the way I'm expected to respond in the time of adversity. In the time when the tests come, that I will respond in the time of adversity as I should. The church in Corinth went through a lot of trouble and testations, even as the apostles, Paul and the rest had gone through. And in 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, if you read from the third verse, the message version, Paul is bringing that conversation again, reiterating the things that I'm trying to teach us this day. He says in the third verse, 2 Corinthians, he says, All praise to the God and Father of our Master, Jesus the Messiah, Father of all, mercy, God of all, healing counsel. He said, he comes alongside us when we go through hard times. This is Paul testifying. He has tested it. He has gone the whole nine yards. He knows what God does in the time of our testation and trouble. So he is thanking God, our healing counsel, who comes alongside us when we go through hard times. And before you know it, the Bible says he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. This even goes beyond you. Maybe you're suffering cancer. God wants to heal you of that cancer. That one time he will bring a cancerous person and you will look at them in the eyes and tell them, darling, I have gone through this thing and you can beat it like I beat it. So not only are these things coming to test your faith, but they also come that they might fortify you and prepare you for the ministry of another who will one time need you when they are down. He tells Peter, when you are converted, when you are recovered, when you are restored, you will restore your brethren. So yes, one, these tests come in our lives to test our faith in God. But when we are approved of our faith in God also, secondly, one day God will bring an individual. He'll bring people who have gone through or are going through exactly what you went through and you will be that voice. You will be that answer. You will be that reason. You will be that logic. You will be that sense. You'll be that glory and inspiration to them to go through. So, the things you're going through are not for you. 
They're not for you. Even the high priest we have, the Bible says, we have not a high priest which is not touched with our infirmity. He was tested in all things. There is nothing testing you that the Christ has not been tested in. Somebody shout hallelujah. But that's the consecrated son forevermore. Because the word of God, the word of that oath in him, working in him as the son of God, has left a testimony for us all to believe. For us all to believe. So you go through things and you could be selfish and think, oh, why me? Why am I the one going through this? Oh God, why me? No. Get out of your selfish interpretation and look at the cloud of witnesses. And so he says, God will bring a man alongside you who is going through those hard times, the very hard times that you went through that you as an individual, a person, will be able to help that person through those times. Verse 5, Paul says, we have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah. We are tried, we are tested. We just don't show people our scars, but we have bled. We have bled. So he says, we have plenty of hard times that come from following the Messiah, but no more than the good times of his healing and comfort. That's the thing about it. That regardless of what you have gone through, with God, you'll always have greater days than your tests. You'll have greater days than your trials. What God will do in your life will not be compared to the pain and trouble you have gone through. They will never compare. The glory of God operating on your life will always outrun and override every test and trouble that you've gone through. So he says, brethren, Consider this light affliction, which is bad for a moment that we are going through. It cannot be compared to the exceeding weight of glory that shall be revealed in our lives because we're not looking at the things which are seen. We're looking at the things which are not seen. For the things which we see are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. This light affliction, which is bad for a moment, cannot be compared. That means God will always do more in your life than the trouble and tests you've gone through. That's the way of salvation. The Bible says in James, we see the suffering of Job and the end of the Lord, that the Lord is merciful and pitiful to his own. We see those who endure to the end and what comes out. And then he gives the example of the patience of Job and the end of the Lord. Job ended well. Job received double of everything he went through. Now I'm not going to say that may you receive double of all your trouble. Those are just semantics people use. It's not scripture. And neither does it say that God now has set the standard that you're to receive double of every trouble. No, those are just people who just found the words rhyming and they call that revelation, but that's not revelation. The double portion is not just receiving double. It's more than that. Somebody shout hallelujah. We have 30-fold. We have 60-fold. We have 100-fold. Remember he that loses a wife, children, mother, father. The Bible says he shall receive back in this life. The Bible says mothers, fathers, and houses. He shall receive back a hundredfold. You see? Yeah, so look to a hundredfold. Not just double, triple. No, no, no. Somebody shout hallelujah. Our God is not just a God of addition. He's a God of multiplication. Somebody shout amen. So Paul says that we have plenty of hard times that have come following the Messiah, but no more than the good times of healing comfort. We get a full measure of that too. When we suffer for Jesus, the Bible says it works out for your healing and salvation. You see? Now, he sees that everything they've gone through has actually strengthened and upheld the church in the time when it was needed. Somebody shout hallelujah. If we are treated well, given a helping hand and an encouraging word, that also works for your benefit, sparring you on, face forward and flinching. Your hard times are also our hard times. So if we're in hard times, it's for your good. And if you're in good times, they're also for your good. So all things work together for good for them that love the Lord and are called according to his purposes. Somebody shout hallelujah. Verse 7 says, when we see that you're just as willing to endure the hard times as to enjoy the good times, we know you're going to make it. No doubt about that. So they were living a life and then they started to see the same life being lived by the Corinthians. And they're seeing these guys are enduring hard times as to enjoy good times. And so when they show that these guys have also got it, 
that in the times of trouble you endure, they were sure they were going to make it. No doubt. Somebody shout hallelujah. I have a guy in the ministry. A couple of weeks ago, he got COVID. It was so bad. His wife called me and told me, oh, his oxygen levels had gone into 70 something, 75, 77. Very low. Never had oxygen levels go that low for a person. And everything spelled otherwise. So she calls me. I know the guy very well. I know the guy very well. I know him very well. And I told his wife, I'm not going to speak to him until he comes out of this. Because I know he will come out of this. But I knew that if I become emotional at that point, this fellow can die. Because if he feels anything in me or fear, I don't know, something can happen to him. So I told his wife, I'm not even going to tell him. Tell him. I gave her a message. Tell him that the summons I've given him are enough. He doesn't need anything. No extra encouragement. And I switched off. I never talked to him again. The guy is taken into high dependence unit. You know, those ICU things. Eh? Oxygen is put on him. Is all of this. And this is what catches me. He is in there. And he's reciting everything he knows about the Word of God. The doctors come to him and he's telling him, doctors, I see that guy and the other guy, they look worse. First attend to them, me, I'm not going to die. I have a certain life. I said, He's telling them, look, don't worry about me. Don't worry about me. I'm not going to die. I have a lot of things to do. First attend to that guy, that guy. Those ones look worse than I am. That's a man who has understood God. Are you hearing me? So the family tries to contact the hospital to see what's going on. The hospital guys are giving them a report. No, he's actually the guy in ICU helping other guys on oxygen. He unplugs, goes, helps this guy whose water is out. He pumps it in, puts it back, and then he goes back on his own thing. Hallelujah, glory to God. I have the life of God in me. I cannot die. I came to give life. How can such a man die? How? Somebody shout hallelujah. He's helping pregnant mothers in ICU. He's helping everybody, you know, in the dependence unit. He's helping everybody. He's the one helping. Even the doctors are telling him, you have blessed us. Your experience, your life here has spoken to us. He's the one speaking to these guys. No. And he's walking to guys who are gasping for air. He says, in the last minutes, and he's telling him, you will not die. He's also not saying, you will not die. You cannot die. Say it in your heart that I will not die. He's encouraging everybody. And everybody's speaking to his receiving life. He's telling them, I'm not here because I'm sick. I'm here to give life. The thing in me can't die. Boy, he made it out. Somebody shout hallelujah. He made it out. He made it out. So when I spoke to him on phone recently, after he was discharged, then I sent him a message. I told him, man, how could you die? I laughed through. When we've not done the things we're supposed to be doing, how could you die when we've not done certain things? You know we have a deal. And the guy just laughs and says, ha, 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 apostle, I saw God. I saw God. Imagine, he said, I saw God. Why? Because when he entered there, he saw ministry. That's a man who is rooted in the word. Listen. Listen. This is going to be hard. But let me say it. No child of God should die of COVID. Unless you had already prayed to go and somehow this is answered prayer. Some people were praying to go and then it's answered prayer. That's all right. That's okay. It's also answered prayer. God has answered you should not die of disease. Unless you want to go home. But if you're not ready, hmm? if you're not ready to die, you better fight. You better fight. Somebody shout hallelujah. You better fight. But you have a person who is not ready to die. They're not ready to die but they can't heal because they have no root. The word is not rooted in their hearts. This man I was testifying about went through this 
But it's as though God had sent him to give life to those that were sick. So he found purpose even in ICU. But how many people understand this? I said, God, I thank you. God, I thank you. Another one sent me a message. He got COVID and he started having this funny feeling, signs and everything. And he got him some medicines, what? And he looked at them and he said, but with a message I have, he put aside those drugs and started getting into the wire. And the guy healed, just like that. So I'm not saying that it's wrong to swallow medicine. I'm not saying it's wrong. But it's not for some people. That's what I'm trying to say. It's just not for some people. I'm not saying it's wrong. And of course, the people of the world would judge me for this because they want us to believe in their faith. Again, I say, we have our own book. Somebody shout hallelujah. So when Paul sees that they are willing to endure the hard times as to enjoy the good times, we know that they're going to make it no doubt about that. He tells them, we don't want you to be in the dark, friends, about how hard it was when all this came down on us in Asia province. So we also went through some times in Asia. But he says, it was so bad, we didn't think we were going to make it. We felt like we'd be sent to death row. But it was all over for us. As it turned out, it was the best thing that could have happened. Listen to that. That when you think that it's death and it's the end, it was the best thing that happened to them. Somebody shout hallelujah. Because that's what God does. May the worst times, may the hardest times for you turn out to be the best. Oh, how can that be, Apostle? I lost my mother. I lost my father. God is the owner of life and eons. He can still create something out of that loss and bring a joy bigger than the loss. Somebody shout hallelujah. Shout glory to God. This is for those of you who are also mourning for the death of your home. God can still bring joy. He is the God of life. He is the God of life. He knows what to do and how to do it. With him, nothing is impossible. Somebody shout hallelujah. So he continues to say, as it turned out, it was the best thing that could have happened. Instead of trusting in our own strength or wits to get out of it, we were forced, forced to trust God totally. Not a bad idea, since he's the God who raises the dead. And he did it. He rescued us from sudden doom. He will do it again, rescuing us as many times as we need rescuing. You and your prayers are part of the rescue operation. I don't want you in the dark about that either. I can see your faces even now lifted in praise for God's deliverance of us. A rescue in which your prayers played such a crucial part. Now that the worst is over, verse 12, we are pleased we can report that we've come out of this with conscience and faith intact. That's so beautiful. He says, we're coming out of this with faith and conscience intact and can face the world even more importantly, face you with our heads held high. You will not say that when he was going through those things, he gave up. Uh -uh. We come out with heads high and say, yeah, this guy is a fighter. This woman knows what to do. Now he can speak. Somebody shout hallelujah. But it wasn't by any fancy footwork on our part. It was God who kept us focused on him and compromised. In fact, the 12th verse in the KJV says, for our rejoicing is this, that the testimony of our conscience, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with flesh and wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversations in the world and more abundantly to you. Our conversations are clear, that we're believers, we are fighters, we don't just die. That's who we are. Fanero, the Fanero guy who has understood this thing, they don't just die. They don't just die. They don't just die. Uh-uh, we don't just die. We fight. Somebody shout hallelujah. That's who we are. That's who we are. That's who we are. I don't care whether you have the worst financial issue in life. You fight it out. Are you hearing me? I don't care what's happening in your marriage or your business. You fight it out. I don't care what's in your body or what the doctor said. You fight it out. And hold your head up high after it all. You will be glad to rejoice with the rest. The testimony of your conscience. All intact with your faith. Paul said, this woman, this man is a believer. Hebrews 12, verses 1, the message Bible says, do you see what this means? Do you see what this means? 
He says, you have pioneers who have blessed the way. All of these veterans who are cheering on you. Paul is saying, I made it. Everybody's saying, I made it. Peter is saying, we also went through those things. Are you hearing me? Job is also in heaven saying, what have you seen? We have seen worse, but we are making it through. So you have this whole crowd of witnesses. It's cheering you on. You might think you're alone in that room. You're not alone. You might think you're alone in that problem or your sickness. No, you're not alone. There's a group of people. They're spirits of just men made perfect in heaven. They're looking back and cheering you on. And they're saying, Peter, go through this thing and beat it. it. you can defeat this thing. You can't fail. Sarah endured in her marriage. Man, a group of witnesses are all watching and saying, come on. They're cheering you on saying, you're going to go through through it. You're going to make it. Somebody shout hallelujah. It means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running and never quit. No extra spiritual fat, no parasitic sins. Keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish and with God, he could put up with anything along the way, the cross, the shame and whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. He says, when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, go over that story over and over again, item by item. That long litany of hostility plowed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. And you say, "Mm -mm, if this man endured, if he suffered blood, mm -mm, I can make it also. If Jesus endured this, I can endure it. If he could not die, I will not die. If he could not be sick, I refuse to be sick. If he was not poor, I cannot be poor. This is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. Be of good cheer, little children. For ye have overcome the world. For greater is he which is in you than he which is in the world. This is what I know. This season is going to be the best season of our lives. After Satan has done all he could, I see God arise. And these days are going to be the best days of our lives as a ministry. As families, I know we've lost our loved ones. I know we have people in hospitals. But say it with me, that these are the best days of our lives. It shall be known in history that the greatest days are ahead of us. The worst has already happened. The best is yet to come. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You have done me well. You have done me well. You have done me well, Jesus. You have done me well. You have done me well. You have done me well, Jesus. Help me quiet. You have done me you have done me well you have done me well Jesus you have done me well you have done me well you have done me well Jesus you have done You have done me well, Jesus. You have done me well. You have done me well. You have done me well, Jesus. Son cosa Father, we thank you that it is well 
with our souls, it is well. With our homes, it's well. With our ministries, it is well. In our bodies, and I speak to everybody watching and listening. It is well. It is well. It is well. You will be well. All will work out fine. Greater days are ahead of you. Greater testimonies await you. God has a greater end for your life. And this you will live to testify if you don't give up. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. If you've never given your life to Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. There is no name given by man or of man by which man can be saved except the name of Jesus Christ. The sound of that name, every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord and Glory Father. And so I want to welcome you to receive that life, to receive that hope. It's your time. Today is your time. God is going to change your life from today. Just say these words in simplicity. Say, Father, I thank you for the gift of Jesus. I believe that he died for my sins and was raised for my glory. Tonight, I receive you, Jesus, as my Lord and Savior. I'm born again. The message you have just heard was brought to you by Fenero Ministries International. For more information, contact us on telephone number 041-466-4291 or email us at fenerocompala at gmail.com. You can also find us on the web at www.fenero.org. Or better still, feel free to join us every Thursday for our weekly fellowships at Uma Multipurpose Hall from 5 p.m. to 8 p.m. You can also catch the live stream at livestream.com slash Fenero. Fenero. Make manifest.